Welcome to A Reason to Talk with Chris Reason, back with another conspiracy theory. This time, the di- disappearance of Johnny Gosh is our topic of the day. Before we get into today's episode, let's hear from our sponsor. Are you interested in merch and other awesome products? Then check out our available inventory today on our online store at ebay.com slash str slash Chris Reason Network. That is where you'll find all the cool finds, Pokemon, Magic Gathering, video games, and much, much more. Some uh, uh, products like the TVW Technical Victimized Wrestling Wristbands shown in the some of the ads on the TVW Matrix on YouTube. Uh, so check out our online store today at eBay ebay.com slash str slash Chris Reason Network. That's ebay.com slash str slash Chris Reason Network. John David Gosh, born November 12, 1969, disappeared September 5, 1982, was a paper boy in West Des Moines, Iowa, who disappeared without a trace between uh, the 6 and 7 a.m. on September 5, 1982. He's presumed to have been kidnapped. As of 2022, there have been no arrests made, and the case is now considered cold, but remains open. His mother, Noreen Gosh, said that Johnny escaped from his captors and visited her with an unidentified man in 1997. She said that her son told her that he had been the victim of a pedophile organization and had been cast aside when he was too old, but subsequently feared for his life and lived under an assumed identity, feeling it was not safe to return home. Gosh's father, John, divorced from Noreen since 1993, has publicly stated that he is not sure whether or not such a visit actually occurred. Many have also speculated that the visit did occur, but it was someone else pretending to be Johnny. Authorities have not located Gosh or confirmed Noreen Gosh's account, and uh, his fate continues to be subject of speculation, conspiracy theories, and dispute. The case received huge publicity in 2006 when his mother said she had found photographs of on her fort doorstep depicting Gosh in captivity. Some of the photos received were said to be children from a case in Florida, but one boy in the photos was never identified. Nareen Gosh insists that that boy is Johnny. Gosh's picture was among the first to be featured on milk cartons as part of a campaign to find missing children. All right, let's get into the story here. On Sunday, September 5th, 1982, in the suburb of West Des Moines, Iowa, Johnny Gosh left home before dawn to begin his paper route. Although it was customary for Johnny to awaken his father to help with the route, the boy took only the family's miniature death sound I, well, I don't know if I brought you that, uh, Gretchen, with him that morning. Other paper carriers for the Des Moines Register will later report have seen Gosh at the paper drop, picking up his newspapers. It was uh, the last sighting of Gosh that could be corroborated by multiple witnesses. Another paper boy named Mike reported that he observed Gosh talking to a stocky man in blue tone two-tone car near the paper drop. Another witness, John Rosie, uh, saw the man in the blue car talking to Gosh and thought something was strange. Gosh told Rosie that the man was asking for directions and asked Rosie to help. Rosie looked at the license plate but could not recall the plate number. He said, I keep hoping I'll wake up in the middle of the night and see the number on the license plate as distinctly as night and day, but that hasn't happened. Rosie underwent hypnosis and told police some of the numbers that the and that the plate was from Warren County, Iowa. According to the pr- a private investigator hired by Gosh, the Goshes, as Johnny walked a block north, where his route started, a paper boy noticed another man following Gosh. A neighbor he heard a door slam and saw a silver Ford Fairmount speed away northwards from where Johnny's wagon was found. John and Noreen Gosh, Johnny's parents, 
began receiving phone calls from customers all along their son's routes complaining of undelivered papers. John performed a courtesy search of the neighborhood uh, around 6 a.m. He immediately found Johnny's wagon full of newspapers two blocks from their home. The Goshers immediately contacted the West Des Moines Police Department and reported Johnny's disappearance. Noreen, in her public statements and her book, Why Johnny Can't Come Home, has been critical of what she perceives as a slow reaction time from authorities and of the police at the time that Gosh could not be classified as a missing person until 72 hours had passed. By her estimation, the police did not arrive to take a report for a full 45 minutes. Initially, the police came to believe that Gosh was a runaway, but later they changed their statement and suggested that Gosh was kidnapped. But they were unable to establish a viable motive. They turned up little evidence and arrested no suspects in connection with the case. A few months after her September 1982 disappearance, Noreen Gosh has said her son was spotted in Oklahoma when a boy yelled to a woman for her help before being dragged off by two men. Uh, over the years, several private investigators have assisted the Goshes with their search for their son. Among them are Jim Rothenstein, Rothstein, I probably butchered that name, I apologize, a retired New York City police detective, and Ted Gunderson, a retired chief of the Los Angeles FBI branch. In 1984, Gosh's photograph appeared alongside that of Juanita Lee Estevez on milk cartons across America. They were the second and third abducted children to have their plights publicized in this way. The first was Eaton Platts. On August 12, 1984, Eugene Martin, another Des Moines area paperboy, disappeared under similar circumstances. He disappeared while delivering newspapers on the south side of Des Moines. Authorities were unable to pr- prove a connection between the three cases, yet Noreen Gosh says that she was personally informed of the abduction a few months in advance by a private investigator who was searching for her son. She was told the kidnapping, who would take place the second weekend in August 1984, and would be a paperboy from the south side of Des Moines. If you are informed, did you not tell anyone? Like, holy shit, a private investigator told her yet she didn't in this case didn't tell anyone until after it happened I would say something if the private investigator found out why didn't you tell the police or any other authority like hey this is suspicious check out this information I have a private investigator working on my case to help out and they found this they may think you're crazy but like holy shit that's and it happens you could have saved somebody's life right there in 1985, Noreen Gosh received a letter from Robert Herman Meyer II, 19, of Signaw, Michigan. The letter had been signed Samuel Forbes, Dakota, whereupon Meyer, acting as Dakota, stated that he was a guard in a motorcycle club when his when Gosh's son disappeared in September 1982. Ooh. According to Meyer, Gosh's son was taken as part of a large child slavery ring operated by the club. According to the Fe- uh, FBI, Meyer requested from and received $11,000 from the Gosh's Meyer additionally requested 100000 more, along with a promise to return their son. Meyer was arrested in Buffalo at the Canadian border by FBI agents and was later charged with fraud by wire. The letter Meyer wrote and had stated that Gosh's son was sold to a man whom uh, Meyer identified as a high-level drug dealer residing in Mexico City. Despite the accusation of fraud, Noreen Gosh reportedly believed Meyer at his word and later criticized the FBI stating that the arrest warrant against Meyer destroyed her and her husband John's credibility with anyone who would take that couple's offer to pay ransom for their boy. According to Noreen Gosh's account, 
She was awakened around 2.30 a.m. one morning in March 1997 by a knock at her apartment door. Waiting outside was Johnny Gosh, now 27, accompanied by an unidentified man. Gosh said she immediately recognized her son, who opened his shirt to reveal a birthmark on his chest. Talked for about an hour, hour and a half. He was with another man, but I have no idea who this person was. Johnny will look over to the other person for approval to speak, says Gosh. He didn't say where he was living or where he was going. In a 2005 interview, Gosh said the night that he came here, he was wearing jeans and a shirt and had a coat on because it was March. It was cold and his hair was long. It was shoulder length and it was straight and dyed black. After the visit, she had the FBI create a picture she said that looked like Johnny. Gosh self-published a book in 2000 titled Why Johnny Can't Come Home. The book presents her understanding of what her son went through based on the original research of various private investigators and her son's visit. On September 1st, 2006, Gosh reported that she found photographs left at her front door, some of which posted on her website. One color photo shows three boys bound and gagged. She says the black and white photo appears to show 12-year-old Johnny Gosh with his mouth gagged, his hands and feet tied, and an apparent human brand on his shoulder. A third photo shows a man possibly dead who may have something tied around his neck. Mrs. Gosh stated that the man was one of the perpetr- uh, perpetrators who molested my son. Gosh later said the first two photos had originated on a website featuring child pornography. On September 13th, an anonymous letter was mailed to Des Moines Police. Gentlemen, someone has played a re- reprehensible joke on a grieving mother. This photo in question is not one of her son, but by, of three boys in Tampa, Florida, about 1979 to 1980 challenging each other to an escape contest. There was an investigation concerning the picture made be, made by a Hillsborough County, Florida, Sheriff's Office. No charges were filed, and no wrongdoing was established. The lead detective of the, on the case was named Selva. The, uh, this allegation should be easy enough to check out. Nelson Selva, who worked for the Hillsborough, Hillsborough County, Florida, Sheriff's Office in the 1970s, said the details of the letter were true and added to that he also investigated the black and white in 1978 or 79 before Gosh's disappearance. I interviewed the kids and they said there was no coercing or touching, caressing, sorry, or touching. I could never prove a crime. Prove a crime. Salvo says, when asked for proof that this was indeed the same photo from the investigation nearly three decades prior, Salvo could not provide any according to the documentary film Who Took Johnny in 2014, only three boards in the pictures were indefined by law enforcement, but not one of them the thought to be Johnny. Noreen Gosh uh, still believes the picture is to be her son. In 1989, 1989, 21-year-old Paul A. Bon- uh, Bonacci told his attorney John DeCamp that he had been adopted into a sex ring with Gosh as a teenager and had, was forced to participate in Gosh's kidnapping. John DeCamp met the bon- Bonacci with Bonacci and believed he was telling the truth. Noreen later met and him and said he told her things he could not only know, he could know only from talking with her son. He said that Johnny had a birthmark on his chest, a scar on his tongue, and a burn scar on his lower leg. Although a description of the birthmark had been widely circulated, information about the scars had not been made public. Bonacci also described a stammer that Johnny had when he was upset. The FBI and local police do not believe that Bonacci is a credible witness in the case uh, and have not interviewed him. His siblings told police he was at home when Gosh's was abducted. The case general uh, generated national interest as Noreen Gosh became increasingly vocal about the inequ- inadequacy 
uh, inadequacy of law enforcement's investigation of missing children cases. She established that Johnny Gosh Foundation in 1982, through which she visited schools and spoke at seminars about the modest upper handy, upper handy of sexual predators. She lobbied for the Johnny Gosh Bill state legislation, which would mandate an immediate police response to reports of missing children. The bill became law in Iowa in 1984, and some of identical laws were later passed in Missouri and seven other states. In August 1984, Noreen Gosh testified in Senate hearings on organize, organized crime, speaking about organized pedophilia, and it, it is presumed role in her son's abduction. She began receiving death threats. Gosh also testified before the U.S. Department of Justice, with, which provided $10 million to establish the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Gosh was invited to the White House by President Ronald Reagan for the dedication ceremony. To this date, Johnny Gosh has not been found, um, proceeded to be living uh, with other people in somewhere in the States, I'm assuming, from what I have read. Uh, I have not seen the documentary from 2014, and I have not read her book, um, but there's a potentially that he could still be out there. If we had the um, wherewithal or the um, technology, just take a picture or one of the pictures from Johnny as a kid, to potentially see what he could be looking like now uh, in the 2022, um, there's a potential of that we could find him and figure out what the hell is going on. And then that case, uh, if it is organized crime with a pedophilia and a bigger ring with a child slavery, they easily could find it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of A Reason to Talk with Chris Reason. Uh, for more episodes, check out myself on social media, Instagram and Twitter at the Chris Reason. Check out Chris Reason Network on YouTube for more content as well. Saturday, September 24th, I'll be at Wisconsin State Fairgrounds for MightyCon, so stop on by. Hit that follow button so you can keep track of when new episodes come out. Available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Peace and fucking bacon grease. Welcome to A Reason to Talk with Chris Reason.